here we are in chapter 11 of the Gita, those of you who've been following us for the last almost 45 weeks that we've been at this. Wow. We've seen kind of, you know, so many flows that have taken place. We started with Arjuna, um, as we all do on the spiritual path, not just with doubts, but also a little rebellious, right? It's like we started with Arjuna saying, do I really have to fight? You know, as Narayani was really talking about that spine being straight, that's what Yogananda said esoterically means the bow. And that's why Arjuna was this greatest bow, you know, the archer was because his ability to string his bow and to hold that arrow of concentration. So that was what created Arjuna. And that's the kind of power we have to awaken as the Arjuna, as the third chakra, before we even really begin the spiritual journey in earnest, which is a straight spine. Our very kind of the spinal column is the string of the bow. And Master said that the front of our chest forms the top of the bow. And that's the particular shape. And when we look at the Gita in the beginning, it talks about Arjuna in a state of dejection, kind of drops his bow. And Master said that's when, you know, the devotee <laughs> who Devil can't really call. have that great self-control just kind of drops his energy down and just lets. And what's the fight that Arjuna is working with, which is the theme of the Gita, is that he wants to, you know, express and reach for these great uh, states of awareness. He wants to achieve bliss. He wants to achieve this unity with the divine. But he's not ready to let go of his lower natures, you know. And we, again, we have this daily battle. You know, I want a state of prosperity and abundance, but, you know, I also want to be lazy when I can. I also want to, you know, go and experience this tiny little vritti here. And I also want to. And this is the, the family of consciousness that we have. The Pandavas that are the upward flow of energy, the Kauravas that are naturally the downward. And they're related, right? Our very laziness is a part of who we are. Our very, you know, desire for something else is a part of who we are. And most of us don't want to let that go. There's this deep hope inside us that we can, can have it all. I can keep it all. <laughs> I can hold on to my desires. I can hold on to my attachments and still enter mm -hmm. into that state of complete awareness. So that's the fight. That's really the spiritual battle. Mm -hmm. Nothing else is going on except that this deep hope and natural delusion that I don't have to fully let go. If I want to unite myself with God, I can somehow bring my personality, my egoic likes and dislikes with me. But of course, that's not going to happen. And this is the battle. Arjuna is not very sure he wants to fight. So he says, eh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I want to kill those lower aspects of my being. Because they are my family, there's my here's my uncle, and here's my this, and here's my that. So that's what's going on. But in this process, so there's confusion, there's a little rebellion. You know, at certain point, after the initial excitement of the spiritual path wears off, mm -hmm. and you realize <laughs> you have to work at this. This mm -hmm. is not, you know, there's no wind that's just going to keep lifting me up. I have to lighten my own self. Then Arjuna sets on this, and every chapter, if you've tuned in so far, is layers that Krishna is peeling off. And the more recent chapters were, you know, just very vivid because on the ninth chapter, Krishna very first, he says, 
now that you have overcome that negativity you've overcome complaining you've overcome fault finding so moving from doubts moving from rebelliousness little by little arjuna has in himself this is all happening of course in deep meditation arjuna started to kind of peel off layers in the previous chapter chapter 10 krishna says now that you have been paying attention to me in this state of joy so now after the layers have been lifted that bliss has started to come and then krishna says now that that joy has arrived i can now reveal this to you so you see there's this i don't want to call it conditional reality but it's as these layers are worked on inside us krishna naturally is able to Keep reveal going. to us deeper and deeper and deeper knowledge which otherwise that's why you can read the gita back and forth a billion times and it you know doesn't really do anything because we're not at a state where we can actually experience these things we still have the negative aspects we still have a lot of doubts we still have a lot of rebellion inside us mm-hmm. there's so much of us that we don't want to offer to god there's so much of us we just want to hold for ourselves mm-hmm. which is fine there's nothing wrong with it here's arjuna telling us in fact that this is where i was but now this is where i have been going tuning into the krishna at the point between the eyebrows tuning into my own intuitive reality and of course eventually and especially in this chapter uh, arjuna finally says you are my guru tunes into krishna as his guru so let's see now where we are today we tune into the divine experience arjuna is finally because that bliss has arrived the bliss of his own being he is now ready to have an experience of samadhi and this is where we are and let's see if we are able to kind of with him have that experience a little bit so chapter 11 verse 1 Arjuna said In your compassion you have revealed to me the secret wisdom of the self and have thereby banished my delusion. So now Arjuna is no longer saying yeah you told me this but in all the other previous chapters there's always been a ah ye mere ko samajh aa gaya par iske bare mein batao and how about this and how about that now he's like you know i really feel everything has been revealed to me i really feel those delusions kind of completely lifting oh lotus eyed krishna you have spoken extensively of the beginning and the end of all beings this is what the previous chapter was where krishna says i am the beginning i am the middle i am the end mm-hmm. of all creation so you've spoken to me about that and you've spoken to me of your eternal sovereignty that no matter what's going on krishna is all that is that's the only reality at play here no matter where we look no matter what we're feeling no matter what we're experiencing no matter how bad no matter how good it's all him it's all aspects or shades of that eternal consciousness that is krishna oh great one you have declared yourself to me i accept this is a very important statement he says it also in the previous chapter i accept as true everything you have said yes a good one you know no more there's no more layer of ha uh, but there's just complete acceptance now and this acceptance is not as we're constantly reinforcing it's not mental i have experienced the truth of it all now inside me because everything about the gita is happening in the battlefield of our consciousness none of it's happening on a chariot or somebody's talking you know over a cup of coffee or something you have said oh i accept everything is true that you have said and yet oh purushottama 
and the most supreme of the Purushas. I long, so this is now where Arjuna has gotten so far, his relationship with Krishna is happening on what level? On a very personal level, as Krishna is the form, as we will have and we do have with our Guru. You know, hey Yogananda, now this is what you've been telling me all this while. But now, where, is, where does Arjuna find himself after that state of bliss? I long to behold you for myself in your infinite form. So this is where Krishna, Arjuna feels now ready to experience. Oh master, lord of yogis. I love this title for Krishna, lord of yogis. If you deem me fit, mm. reveal to me your infinite self. Now this is again Beautiful. where we need to pause for a moment. Yeah. If you deem me fit, reveal to me your infinite self. All of us think and you know, we're we're all Arjuna at the beginning of the Gita, hoping to be Arjuna at this stage. You know, it's like, well, I'm not ready to let go of all my likes and dislikes. I have a lot of desires and attachments I really want to fulfill. Yet I'm totally ready for the infinite experience. And I don't know why God must have made a calculation mistake or something somewhere and is not giving that experience to me because hey, I meditate for 15 minutes a day, so I, I'm wondering where that experience, why am I not getting that experience? So, of course, this process of these 10, 11 chapters is incarnations of our process. You know, every time we go inside, it'll be lovely if we're moving at the pace Arjuna is in the Gita. But unfortunately, we're not moving at that pace. We're still very much on the battlefield, still wondering, do I really have to fight? We're still not convinced of the battle yet. But for our intellectual state, we find ourselves here together with Arjuna and Krishna at a moment where we could have that divine infinite experience, but we have to kind of get ourselves prepared. A lot of uh, disciples, this, is, this has been a theme of great masters, always come up to their master and say, when are you going to give me Samadhi? <laughs> when will you give me that experience? And there was one of Yogananda's disciples, his name was Dr. Lewis. And uh, he was his first disciple in the United States. And he would constantly go to Yogananda and say, you know, Guru, when are you going to give me Samadhi? When are you going to give me Samadhi? And Yogananda would always say, not yet, not yet, you're not ready yet. And one day he corners Yogananda and, you know, kind of backs him into this corner. He's like, I'm going to get it from my Guru one way or the other. And he said, Master, when are you going to give me Samadhi? And Yogananda with great power says, if I give it to you, can you handle it? And Dr. Lewis says, I was just shaking, even in the power that was just transmitted in the words. Because it's like, we really can't even handle that state. Because imagine a gazillion volts of energy suddenly forced to pass through your nervous system. We'll just fry, we'll burn to a crisp if we really were to have this cosmic experience. Yogananda said, Samadhi is a, is a shock and suddenly becoming omnipresent because it's like your your brain, your nervous system, your being can't handle when your consciousness has been so trapped, so limited. I mean, even giving our love fully to another person is hard for us. Imagine now suddenly becoming everything else. So it's it's an experience we have to very honestly say, you know, if I haven't had it, I've probably it not for ready. Reason. I'm probably not yet ready. And Arjuna just so, he's gotten to that state of this complete humility of surrendering 
he's experiencing that bliss. I mean, Krishna is just revealing to him all aspects of his being. And still Arjuna just comes to Krishna and says, if you deem me fit, I think now I'm ready for this experience. And we have to create that experience for ourselves. I was just remembering also a story of um, Ramakrishna Paramhans. Many of you know him. I mean, he's just such an amazing saint. And we know he had a very deep relationship with uh, the Divine Mother, with Goddess Kali. He was the priest at Dakineshwar. And he would just go into these ecstasies where he would see, you know, Ma Kali. She would dance for him. He would feed her with his hands. I mean, not he's not imagining this. All this was actually happening. But he was so enamored with the form of Kali that he was never able to go beyond Kali. Every time he would sit in his meditations to try to merge in the infinite, the moment Kali would come, he would become like a little child and he would start playing with her and that's it. That would, that's where his experience ended. So he had created this really personal relationship with the divine, but he had yet to experience that state of nirvikalpa samadhi, complete expansion into the infinite. And so that's when he met his guru who was Totapuri, who was just a wandering sadhu, uh, you know, and so Totapuri comes to visit Dakineshwar, sees Ramakrishna, recognizes that he's ready for this experience, and he goes to Ramakrishna and says, the next time, you know, Goddess Kali comes to you, in your mind, take a sword and just slice her in two. And <laughs> Ramakrishna is like, oh, I'm not going to do that. He says, that's the only way you're going to break through this limited form that you've kind of trapped the infinite into. It's a beautiful relationship, but there's so much more you are yet to experience. And so, but he would try that. Every time Kali would come, he just heart would just melt because there was so much devotion. And so next time Totapuri says, okay, the moment Kali comes, you just let me know. And the moment in Ramakrishna's meditation, Kali appears and you know, he just says, and Totapuri took a glass shard and he just pressed it into Ramakrishna's spiritual life. And he says, now cut her. And the moment he feels that thing here, he says he's able to, he says, I took Ramakrishna's words up. I took my sword of discrimination and I sliced through the mother. And that's when he had his complete enlightenment. And that's the state that Krishna is now kind of drawing Arjuna to because so far, you know, it's a moment where the Guru will say, ah, don't stop at me, go all the way. Well, first we have to get to the point where we've tuned into the Guru completely as Arjuna has. So now he says, if you deem me fit, give me that supreme experience. And the Blessed Lord said, Behold, O son of Pritha Arjuna, by hundreds and by thousands my divine forms multicolored, multifarious. In the previous chapter, he gave Arjuna, and he'll talk about this in the very next thing. He says, behold the Adityas, the Vasus, the Rudras, the twin Ashwins, the Maruts, the many wonders hitherto unknown. And we talked about how he broke down all of creation into all these levels that we consider now the Devas and the Asuras and, you know, the Swarg and all the levels of, oh, this is Brahma, this is the Trinity, then come the Adityas, then come the Prajapatis. And that's just kind of how God's consciousness kind of keeps stepping down into the different from the causal world into the astral world into the physical world. And so Krishna says, I've, I've displayed to you all the different ways that I manifest in the previous chapter. Of course, he ends the chapter saying, what are you going to do by knowing all these things about me? Because I'm endless. And even when you know the entire universe, you know but a fragment of 
my essential being. And so this is at the point where we, you know, the disciple can get, where he can experience it all, but still know only a fragment of God's consciousness until he in fact breaks beyond form entirely. Here and now, O Gadukesh, and this is conqueror of sleep. You have to tune into all the names also that Krishna you know, addresses Arjuna by, Arjuna addresses Krishna by, because in them are also these hidden keys as to what the particular kind of state of consciousness is at which Krishna is addressing Arjuna and vice versa. So here as Gadukesh, conqueror of sleep. So when you and I are at the state where we've conquered sleep, where we can stay in that unbroken state of deep meditation just for days and days and days and days, that's when these states tend to come more often than not. Behold, unified in my cosmic body, all the worlds, all, the move, all that moves and is unmoving. All that is and besides all that you desire and behold. So he's just like, he starts to, of course, Krishna begins to expand into that state. And he says, behold, in my being, absolutely all there is. You cannot grasp my vision with mortal eyes. Now, therefore, I give you divine sight. Behold my supreme yoga power. So I want all of us to, you know, really go with this flow. In the Bible, Christ says, no man hath seen God. And a lot of people take that to mean that, you know, man cannot see God. There's, that's not the point. And therefore, you know, you're kind of stuck with Christ to a certain degree. But this is what Krishna means here too. You cannot see me with mortal eyes. You have to first see me with the divine vision of the spiritual eye. And that's what Krishna is now awakening and opening for Arjuna. And now comes a little moment for us to truly realize what this experience is. Because the ninth verse is a sudden shift from what's going on. Here we are, Krishna and Arjuna having this conversation. And every time we're in the Gita, we feel that this conversation is happening between Arjuna and Krishna, right? I mean, that's just the obvious reality of the Gita. But who's actually reciting the Gita? Sanjay, not Krishna, nor Arjuna. So we come back to this reality suddenly drawn away from Krishna and Arjuna to this, to Dhritarashtra, Sanjay said. Because remember what's really going on. Sanjay has been telling Dhritarashtra all about the Mahabharat, what the war is, and it is Sanjay who's reciting the Gita, not Krishna. Sanjay has been telling Dhritarashtra, Krishna said this, now Arjuna said this, now Krishna said this, now Arjuna said this. So there's a whole other reality going on. And this is why, this is where Vedvyas, he keeps dropping these realities in to remind us, because what were the characters of Sanjay? Remember, we went through every character and we tuned into what are their true natures inside our consciousness. Dhritarashtra represents the mind. That is why it's blind, because the mind by itself, without the senses, has no reality of its own. It's unable to perceive. And it requires the intellect, which is Pandu, Dhritarashtra's brother, to be able to process and understand what it is seeing. So Dhritarashtra is blind. He represents the mind. Sanjay represents introspection. Remember? Represents that ability for us to in, enter deeper into our being and watch all that is going on from an inner reality. 
And so that is what's happening on the inside. And this is an important reality for us so that we don't get to the point where we're reading the Gita and we're still thinking It's like, oh, your own inner voice is communicating to the mind this particular experience that we are now going to have. Sanjay said, with these words, Hari Krishna, the exalted Lord of Yoga. Again and again, the word yoga, yogi will just keep coming into this to help you remind that what's happening here is that union of being. And now he reveals to Arjuna his supreme divine form. Arjuna saw the supreme deity, infinite in variety, omnidirectional in radiance. We, we just need to tune into these words a little bit. Of course, our mind is incapable to even realize infinity. For us, it means very big, but our mind will always have limits. But whatever we can, we feel that infinite reality, we see omnidirectional in radiance, just everywhere that light is coming from everywhere and nowhere at the same time. There is no one source from where that radiance is emitting, all pervading, as if adorned on all sides with celestial robes, garlands and ornaments, the divine weapons which represent the Siddhis, the celestial powers of creation, upraised, just lifted up, fragrant with exquisite essences, and so these experiences come in divine meditation, in deep meditation, I mean. When you get into that state, suddenly you'll be able to tune into these fragrances. Suddenly those different states of consciousness begin to run through your mind. You have that state of expansion. So we can experience them in very tiny little ways as well. Only when we've kind of really gone deep into the Shishumna. That's why it's important to remind ourselves how Arjuna asked Krishna, take me in the center of both those armies. You have to keep remembering that it's neither in the Pandavas nor in the Kauravas. It's not in duality of, uh, you know, oh, I'll just be joyful all the time by the things, by the wonderful virtues of my own being. And of course, it's not in those downward states. It's in the Shishumna where no duality exists. And our meditation has to take us in there. Yogananda said, only in the Shishumna has meditation truly begun. So a lot of us when we sit to meditate, you know, it sounds a little discouraging, but it's also helpful to kind of say, okay, I want to go to that state, is we're not really even meditating until we've reached into the Shushumna, until we've neutralized those two currents of the Ida and the Pingla and drawn them within, until Arjuna asks Krishna to take him into the center of the battlefield with both sides on either side. Until that state, this conversation can't even take place. So that's important for us to realize. But when we get there, these little expansions for us to experience that infinity, for those fragrances to come, for divine radiance of that light to be experienced, all that just naturally comes as a byproduct. Were a thousand, I love this one, were a thousand suns to appear together in the sky, their brilliance could suggest but dimly the splendor of that exalted being. Imagine. If a thousand suns all combined together, how much light would that be? And Arjuna says, that light is nothing. 
compared to that splendor that he was experiencing now beholding Krishna. There in that vision did Arjuna behold the vast universe and its endless divisions all united as one within the form of the God of Gods. Then Arjuna, wonderstruck, with the follicles of hair on his arms, raising in awe. I love these tiny little details in the Gita. You know, just those goosebumps just kind of running through his body. We've all experienced that, you know, when that energy kind of suddenly rises up and everything inside us just kind of stands up, just awakens. That's the state of kind of excitement that Arjuna was going through. Prayerfully join his hands together and bowing his head to the Lord, exclaimed, marveling. Now this is Arjuna kind of singing poetically. Swamiji puts in a footnote over here. He's like, I have taken the liberty not to literally translate all these verses, but I wanted it to be a little more poetic so that you get the feeling and not just the exact words, but you get the sense of the awe and amazement that Arjuna was experiencing. So we'll just go through this and see if there's some words that stand out for us to tune into. Most wonderful Lord, adored of gods, within thy cosmic form I behold the vast universe of beings. Saints and sages divine, sequestered in remote caves, I love this one, their serpent nature, which is their kundalini, formerly virulent, which is that same power that we all carry, all of us, formerly virulent, matlab, not under our control. So that same Kundalini Shakti that people are constantly saying, oh, Kundalini awaken It's not going into the Shushumna. That's the only problem. It's just going everywhere else except in and up. So that serpent nature, formerly virulent, now tamed, now under their control, raised by love. I love these words. Raised by love on the rod of awakening. In the Shishumna, in the spine, raised by love. That devotion is so important. In that story of Ramakrishna and Totapuri, Totapuri, when Ramakrishna has that experience, Totapuri says, I have done decades of tapasya to have this experience and you in a few short meditations just got there. How? So the, suddenly it like switched because Totapuri saw It's just that love that he had for Makali. Where Totapuri was going as the jnani and saying ki, you know, neti, neti and not this and not that and being that true, you know, sannyasi that he was. He said, here you are with this great love for Kali, you know, stuck in the form of Kali and suddenly you're able to overcome that and that's what's needed for each of us. It's Arjuna's love for Krishna that has drawn him to this state, raised by love on the rod of awakening. Lord Brahma, God of Gods, seated on the head of each sage. So this is the experience that Arjuna is having. This is, don't think of this as Krishna as a and Arjuna is describing. This is the experience Krishna Arjuna is having inside his own self. He is uniting with every saint, with every self-realized master that has ever been before him. He feels 
Lord Brahma, which means the creative power of the universe, kind of seated on him, seated on the head of each sage, his seat, the shining lotus of a thousand rays, of course, referencing the Sahasrara. O cosmic bodied Lord of all worlds, I behold thee everywhere and in everything. Innumerable bodies, faces, eyes reveal thy energy. Inscrutable to me are your origins, your reigns, your endings. So remember we talked about in the previous chapter where Christ said to his disciples, that which my father knows, I know not. Which is about this reality that even a self-realized master, because the very nature of God is infinite, therefore endless, even a self-realized master is constantly experiencing God anew. He's never going to ever know the end of God. He's never going to know ever the origin because none of them exist in infinity. That's a, again, just such a hard concept for a human mind to truly grasp. Intellectually, we can say, thoda bahut samaj aa hai mujhe. but this is it. Even in the experience of the infinite, Arjuna says, I can't figure out your origin. I can't figure out your end because the experience of God is ever new bliss ever new constantly in every moment you will say i have not experienced this of god i have not experienced this of god i have not experienced this of god i mean it's just again beyond comprehension oh baffling effulgence overwhelming light the glory of thy name spreads everywhere to the darkest corners of the universe diademed with stars wielding the mace of sovereign power your discus of whirling vortices of light. These are galaxies and universes kind of flowing within that vast form of Krishna. Dazzling, illuminating, thrilling. These are true experiences that you will have. You know that? Just, it's a thrill to be experiencing God in this state. And, and those thrills come first just tiny. I mean, you I can't even imagine what Arjuna is going through in this moment, but even when you feel one reality of God more than what you've experienced, that thrill is beyond even comprehension, beyond description, really. Immortal Supreme Brahman, supreme resting place of all created forms, guardian of eternal law, high wisdom's throne, and so on and so forth. I don't want to read this all because I want you to really read this on your own because Arjuna is just having this spontaneous experience that he's just putting to words to the best of his ability. Because there's no true way to really compress this experience into words. And he goes on and on. He's just awful and he's just describing whatever he's, he's just grasping at whatever he's able to comprehend in this experience. And he goes on and on until finally we get to Krishna. Because oh, I want to actually read this last paragraph. Having described this whole experience to the best of his ability, Arjuna says, What? Who art thou, Lord? He still can't figure out what this experience is about. What is thy cosmic will? What is thy purpose? To what end has all this been done? Isn't that... <laughs> The eternal question we all hold. Everybody asks us at some point or the other, 
ठीक है भाई ओके आई एक्सेप्ट वी हैव टू फाइंड गॉड बट व्हाई डिड ही डू एनी ऑफ दिस इन द फर्स्ट प्लेस व्हाट्स गोइंग ऑन व्हाट्स द पर्पस ऑफ इट ऑल एंड अर्जुना इवन इन दैट स्टेट ऑफ ओमनीप्रेजेंस इज आस्किंग द सेम क्वेश्चन हु आर्ट थाउ लॉर्ड व्हाट इज दाय कॉस्मिक विल व्हाट इज दाय पर्पस to what end has all this been done and krishna responds and we'll end with krishna's response the blessed lord said i am kal i am time disguised as endless doom i come i seize i obliterate even were you not to fight and he's now bringing this reality to the first question arjuna asks do i need to fight it's beautiful how in that very moment because these experiences that arjuna is having it doesn't necessarily mean that when you have that samadhi experience your consciousness though united with god in meditation this is the state of sarvikalpa samadhi when you step back out of meditation you return back to your egoic self we need to get to a state of nirvikalpa samadhi where meditation no meditation sleep eating talking no matter what's going on you're completely united to that experience and so krishna brings it back to that moment because that's what started this conversation in the first place even were you not to fight these foes you gaze upon at kurukshetra would perish arjuna slain by my mighty will indeed i slew them long ago what does that mean i slew them long ago in the eternal now it's already happened past present future none of it exists but ye ho bhi chuka hai you are but my instrument and this is where krishna comes to what is your purpose what is your will this is a question bhai bhagwan what do you want what's my purpose what's next for me what should i do you are but my instrument your destiny is to carry out my will i need you not it is you arjuna who has need of me i know the past present and future of all men make war for me if you would embrace eternal life and victory and bliss make war for me this is one of those people you know of a certain fanatical nature can pick this up and say krishna told me to make war that means i have to go and anybody who does not believe in krishna i have to go and destroy them and hurt them and convert them you know whatever our realities are but of course if once we realize what this war is what is god's purpose what is your purpose what is his will make war for for my love fight this battle overcome all limitations break every attachment destroy any vestige of limiting thought and perception that's what god wants make war for me as the most powerful statement in all of the gita make war for me because if you don't do it i am kal i am time I will obliterate it all. These things that you think you have to slay, I've already slain them. 
these fight these little desires that you're fighting with and trying to cling to they're already gone in me you're already one with me but your purpose is to be my instrument not wait ki bhai in time mai waise bhi usko khatam kar dunga and as my instrument you have to make war for me every day every moment that's our purpose not am i here to compose great music or am i here to build some hospitals or you know that's what we think purpose means we're still so outwardly you know just drawn ki we think ki kuch hai humko jo karna hai karna to hai hi because this war involves activity on our behalf but make war for me every moment every decision the question becomes which aspect am i going to embrace that flow or that flow and that's really the only will of god that we have to follow if we can in every moment in every decision in every thought in every crossroad choose that divine uplifting force and have to decide anything else on the outside then everything that is that needs to manifest through you that purpose that you are seeking that just flows that just becomes what's going to happen anyway but the real war needs to be fought inside make war for me i love those words because it just cuts away all the nonsense that we think of as this purpose that we're looking for it's really just self aggrandizement i don't know if i'm getting the word right because that's what we're like so desperate for mera purpose kya hai which essentially means bhai main kya karunga where people know ki maine ye kiya hai make work for me anyway that's just where we should kind of close this reading today of course there's a few more verses that then arjuna goes to that are also just beautiful but we'll get to them next week now narayani is always perhaps <laughs> she's picked something up we love all you know we go into these deep philosophies but we like to always come to some moment of practicality So let's see if Narayani picked up on some thought. Well, I really to. loved the story of Ramakrishna Paramahansa when he saw the Mahakali and he had to visualize himself actually taking the sword and just cut her just in between. And I realized that sometimes we have to do exactly the same not just with our desires over expectations over attachments but also with some aspects of our own personality that keep us bound that prevent us from moving forward on the spiritual path and i'm going to propose an experiment for this week that is perhaps a combination between introspection introspection and visualization of yourself that aspect of yourself that we are really trying to overcome and do a little bit of violence in the sense like don't just pamper yourself when you do something wrong take your sword and just cut that aspect of you that it doesn't serve you anymore to keep moving forward so every night before going to bed give yourself 
five, 10 minutes and just go through those aspects that you and me have. That aspect that when we are a little bit of angry, cut yourself, you know, destroy that aspect of you. When you are a bit jealous of what other people are accomplishing and you're not, and you are not, and not just only on the spiritual path, but outwardly, you know, what other people are achieving in their careers. When we become too judgmental about other people. So visualize yourself when you are channeling that negative energy and consciousness within you. And throughout the day, we channel those energies. We manifest those expressions, those lower tendencies. And we shouldn't be just too compassionate about it, but fight and destroy them the moment that we become aware of them. Sometimes we can do it right away throughout the day because we are so caught up in the process, we are so entangled and so personally involved. But at the end of the day, go through it and whenever you saw in that moment, in that particular behavior, just take yourself and destroy that tendency right away. And, and don't be mm, afraid to do that because you are not really destroying your personality, but those tendencies that are not going to help you to really have that experience of unity and abundance and unconditional love with everyone and in everything you do. So sometimes we need to develop a little bit of violence with ourselves so we don't keep indulging in those tendencies that are really not useful anymore for the person that we want to become because at the end of the day it has nothing to do with what we do but how we do it the consciousness we put in it, the, the, the magnetism that we bring in that conversation with that person, in that shooting, in that whatever we are doing. That's what Krishna is begging us for us to work at it, to become fit. So he feels we are deemed to receive that knowledge. So this is a serious inner work that each one of us need to take responsibility for and take that sword and start you know slaying slashing 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 and slaying, slaying and just, just really without mercy because this is a war between you and your ego and only one can win this battle so it's it's up to each one of us to always fight um, and become um, part of the same team. <laughs> Krishna's team. Krishna's team. Love that.